0: Hi, welcome back to another episode of Chicana Code Switchers. I'm so excited um, to have another episode and with another guest. Um, Ariana uh, is one of my co-hosts, and my name is Patricia, and let's start this new episode.
1: Yeah, hi everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you are all staying safe, and this week we have a great guest. Her name is Claudia Espinosa. Pronouns are she, her, hers. Her position is Executive Director of Latinas on the Verge of Excellence, uh, also known as LOVE, L-O-V-E, and um, Mentoring. Uh, Claudia Espinosa has been working with young Latinas for the past 10 years. Her work with this population has enabled her to learn directly from these young women the needs that must be addressed to ensure that they can reach their full potential. An immigrant herself, she understands the challenges that must be overcome in order to succeed in a foreign country. Flavia knows that resilience, determination, commitment, and hard work, along with self-confidence, are crucial to mastering challenges such as learning a new language, adapting to a new culture, and separating from one's family. Her success in each of these areas give her the credibility to be a role model to show, guide, and support young Latinas and other young women in attaining their most ambitious goals.
0: Conceiving and founding Latinas on the verge of excellence is one of uh, Claudia's most important accomplishments. Her education and her skills as a social entrepreneur have allowed her to create and lead the Love Mentoring Program with the goal to support and empower young women to strive for excellence, and achieve their dreams. Claudia received her uh, BA and MA uh, degrees in forensic uh, psychology with magna cum laude honors uh, from the City uh, University of New York, also known as uh, CUNY. Her, uh, she earned her second master's uh, degree in public administration from New York University's uh, Robert F. Wagner uh, Graduate School of Public Service. Claudia also holds an ADM degree in school leadership from the Harvard Graduate School of Education. So uh, welcome, Claudia. Thank you so much for joining us in this episode. Um, We're excited to reconnect again. For any of the listeners that are not um, familiar, we had actually Claudia in a previous episode when we, both Adriana and I, uh, were at Harvard for the uh, Alumni of Color Conference back at the East Coast. So thank you so much, um, Claudia, for joining us. Thank you for the invitation.
1: Yeah, so Claudia, let's get started. How, um, can you tell us more about your journey at CUNY? At CUNY, well, that,
2: I, I can start from the very, very beginning. I, I moved to New York City in the year 2000 uh, from Cali, Colombia. Mm-hmm. And when I moved here, I, um, I had been studying psychology back home, and it's, it's a longer story in terms of why I decided to, to move here, but um, once I arrived in New York, I knew that uh, I, my first goal was to continue my education, uh, which, again, I had started in Colombia, and I had put on hold to, to um, migrate to New York City. So my relationship with CUNY started there. I uh, went to Queens College. I I enrolled myself in English as a second language classes. So that's where I started uh, going to a CUNY school. I went to Queens College for two years. And um, yes, I did every single uh, class related to ESL writing. Uh, speaking and the goal was to um, feel that I was um, prepared and you know with the English language to uh, apply to a um, four-year school so I could continue my my bachelor's degree here in in New York City. So I started there at Queen's College and um, two years later I applied to john jay um i i i was studying psychology in colombia and i knew that i wanted to um get into the criminal criminology uh field of psychology so i learned about john jay so i transferred my credits from my school in colombia applied to john jay and was able to continue uh, my education there when when i got accepted so um once that happened, um, I started, and that was back in 2004. Uh, so four years had gone by since I had arrived here in New York, and um, at John Jay, I um, I started with uh, with the goal of pursuing my bachelor's to completing my bachelor's degree in forensic psychology, and I I was I was going as a part time student. I, I didn't I had to work. um, I was going part-time and working part-time. At the time, I didn't have uh, legal status in in New York or here in the U.S., so I had to pay uh, for my school, so I was a part-time student and and working part-time. And um, after a year and a half at uh, John Jay, uh, pursuing again my bachelor's, I was invited to um, by the school to join the BAMA program um, based on academic performance. So I, I accepted the invi- invitation. Uh, it became a little harder, uh, meaning that I, I had to keep a GPA of 3.5 in order to stay in that program and get both degrees. And, uh, but I, I said, yes, I, what, you know, I took the challenge and, and I made sure that I, I kept that GPA that high. But it was, it was a hard process. So I, I I started in two thousand four and graduated in two thousand ten with uh, with both degrees. So it's it's interesting because it sounds a little easy in terms of how everything happened, but it definitely was not an easy, straightforward process.
0: Yeah, and I think it, it sounds from from the challenges of also um, we've had a lot of guests that. Are from the, the West Coast in the U.S. and so the East Coast. You settled in New York, right? Right when you immigrated from Colombia to, to New York. Yes. Yeah. So um, tell us about you know because you had you know a lot of degrees that you've earned so far. Like, what was a part of the decision making process that you that made you you know choose either like what the next steps was? What was the process for you? Um, because you've been connected to wanting to mentor other Latinas, right, in their, in their journeys? Yes. So
2: the process, um, yes. I mean, when I, when I first arrived, I knew the, the first decision to join CUNY was based on two, I guess, two specific um, reasons. The first one was that I definitely knew that I I wanted to finish my my degree and that education to me is is one of the most important um things personally in my life. So I CUNY I chose it for two reasons. I think I, as mentioned at the time um, I didn't I, I didn't have my legal status so I. I don't recall how it all worked out in terms of doing my research for schools, but I, I do remember that, uh, I wanted to find a school that was great, but at the same time was to a certain extent affordable because I had to pay for it. So I wanted both, uh, reputation and some and school that I could, uh, uh, pay for it myself since I, I, that's, that's what I had to do. And I think, that, uh, cuny match both of those uh so that's the school that i decided to to apply to for my first degree um i also think now that i applied there because cuny represents new york and i since i came to new york city um yeah i i, I feel that i I really felt that New York City was became a, a second home, uh, aside, aside from my own, and CUNY represented that. CUNY represented um, accessibility, represented um, somehow safe, I, I felt safe there. And so that was part of my decision of why I wanted to go to CUNY. Um, and so the first, the first uh, degree. Um, again, I, I was able to do both masters. That was not the original goal. That happened uh, after I I went to the program. I was invited to to do that. Um, but the first uh, degree was based on that. Based on I need to finish my first degree that I started at home, and why CUNY because of the reasons mentioned. Because it was it was accessible and. And he had what I needed, which was, uh, affordability and, and the, and the degree that I was looking for, which was psychology based on, uh, in a, in a a criminal kind of, um, uh, field. So that was the first degree. I, um, many things happened when I was a kidney. I was, uh, I arrived here in 2000 as mentioned, but it took seven years to become legal and, um, and so during that process, I just concentrated on, on going to school. And um, I, I, I started in 2004. As mentioned, I graduated in 2010. The original goal was, okay, I want to, and, and now that I've spoken so, with so many students from, you know, that are presented my same, same degree, I've heard many times, yeah, I want to go to the FBI. And I, you know, this, you know, 15 years ago, that was, uh, or more, that was my, my original goal. And but as as I I went to the you know as I finished my degree and I I I think uh, experiences and and just I guess evolving um, my my career uh, interests have started to change and I felt that um, I I always um, have always been interested in, in supporting helping um, and um, I guess my my motto is just justice and I knew it had to be something to. To support and to provide help, and, but, but it wasn't it with the, the law enforcement anymore. So, I, towards the end of the degree, I started feeling um, that I wanted to get involved with human rights. Back then, it was 2000, well, I graduated in 2010 but I think everything started to change around 2008. Uh, I, I got a job in a non-profit. Um, the name was or still is Latin, uh, the National Latina Institute for, for the Reproductive Health, and that was my first uh, exposure to a non-profit. I, back then, I had no idea what that was, and I just got a job as a program associate in The main reason I got that job was because um, after I got my legal status in 2007, I decided I want to do a study abroad, and I applied to a program, and I went to live in Paris from 2008 to 2009, so I got that job to, you know, safe and prepare to go abroad, but I also feel, because I believe in destiny, that it kind of just started to pave the, the path for me, the pathway to somehow where I am today. And so I started working for that nonprofit. I started learning about what a about nonprofit was. I started to become familiar with, I mean, the Latina Institute supports Latina women uh, nationwide in, in, in terms of uh reproductive health. Uh, so I got um I said to to learn about that and about what it meant to to support our community. So I went um I went abroad, I came back and so my interests had changed completely. And um and so back when I when I graduated from, from John Jay I thought, uh, well, I have a new career interest, and I really want to get into human rights. And then it, be, it started to become a little bit more clear. And then it was women's rights, and and so I, every step of the way. And I think that I don't know. I think that that's um, an interesting thing. That every time I feel that I am, going I'm interested in pursuing something specific. I. I want, I like to go and match that interest with education. So when I started getting interested in the the women's rights field back then, and it was like a broad, broad kind of interest, I figured I want to apply to a school where I can get education that can guide me in, in that process. And I applied to NYU, and I applied to a school in France, and I got into both. Uh, but when I got into NYU, I felt that, uh, that school could give me um, or provide the education and resources that I needed to get into the the next step of my career, and that's exactly what happened. So I I got I started getting my degree in 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 uh, public administration. The concentration was nonprofit management, and again, as mentioned destiny i came back from uh, france and i got this job right and i always put it in quotes Uh, i got a a a job at a suicide prevention program in brooklyn and my job was to uh, i was an intake counselor and i was interviewing um, young latinas um, that were referred by a partner hospital because they had depression and suicide ideations. so when i got that job I had no idea what I was getting myself into or what I was going to find. Uh, I always say I got a job, that was my first semester at NYU. I need to pay rent. So I've always been uh, a part-time student and, and a part-time employee. And, but then what happened was that I started my, my, my role and my daily uh, kind of responsibility was to have interviews with the students or with the, with the girls. 13 to 18 years old, referred by the hospital and, and he was just heart wrenching. I was listening to stories from the girls every day saying they had tried to commit suicide. Some were thinking about it. Some were um, depressed and they, all they kept saying is or was, I had no reason to live. I there's, I, I have no hope. And I heard that for six months. Um, and then after six months, I said, like, I said to myself, "This is this is enough. I I gotta do something about this." And I quit the program. I told the girls I would do something um, about it. And I said that um, I need to do something to make sure that young women, young Latinas, don't feel that there is no reason to live. I need to ch- I need to change this. And that's how love happened. And um, I. Uh, I feel that exact, that's exactly the reason for which I ended up going to NYU. I created a pilot program at NYU uh, for Love, where I paired college students with high school students from the Lower East Side, and that was the beginning of that, and um, so that was the second degree. Interesting that I graduated from NYU, from, I went there from 2010 to 2013. I. Um, I concentrated on building love, I created a non-profit, so I, I didn't need a dissertation for my degree, but uh, it was, that was my dissertation when I graduated I had a non-profit of, of my own. And, and then I concentrated on building the organization. And I decided to go back to school, which was in 2018, um, again, destiny, I always felt that, I really, that my dream was to go to Harvard, that it was a dream, it was a burning desire. But it also had a reason. I, After five years of doing love um, and, and, find, and creating and growing the organization, I felt that I needed to find a model that was sustainable and that will really help me to continue growing the organization to support more and more young women, young Latinas in New York City. And so that was the goal. When I went to Harvard, it, it also had a specific reason. Um, one to fulfill that dream and second to learn about uh how can i make my organization sustainable and grow it and so that's the reason specific reason for which i got that degree and so there you have i guess the story of behind all of the degrees i think that right now my personal goal is to Love Right Now, it used to be an after school program, it became a health class and and is run as a health class in public high schools across New York City as an elective health class. My current goal is to make the program a required health class at the DOE and so with that new goal, I feel that I want to match that with also uh, education. And so that's my current goal. I actually am I'm, I'm completing my application to uh, NYU again, and I'm, I'm applying for a doctoral program in education with that goal, with the goal of now let's make sure that this program can be taught in all public high schools in New York City, to support young women. And that is not my decision. The reason I want to do that is because our young women keep telling us that this is the kind of education that they would like to have, the education that we provide in our program, which is uh, based on mental health, reproductive health, and college access. And they say that they don't get this education from school, and I want to make sure that they get it. So that is my current goal, and I'm going to match that with hopefully with this doctoral program if I get there. So Patricia, that's your that's the long, long, long answer to, to your question <laughs> of how every single degree matches, you know, where I've been in a specific point in my life. But I think that at least currently they do they're they're just not for me. I feel like Maybe the, the forensic psychology degree was my personal goal to finish my bachelor's, but I feel that every other degree that I've gotten has a specific reason, and it's not just for me to get more degrees. It's more about how, how can I use this new knowledge to, to support the young women that we're supporting. So, yeah. So that's where I
1: find myself today. That's amazing, Claudia, that you've accomplished so much and that you haven't given up on Uh, on your journey right everything led to something else and that's you know that's the power of education is that your world opens up to more possibilities to things that you may not have considered before to things that you may not know that existed and it leads you down a different path and all of the different experiences um, come together and give you more clarity and it sounds like you know your degrees and they are all interconnected and in the Mm -hmm. sense that you want to make a difference in people's lives. You want to create social justice. You want to create equity for the girls that you support and your mentoring program is unique in that way. And I especially love that. It's that it's called love L O V E mentoring program, because it just shows like that you have so much passion to support these young girls. And, I actually had the fortunate opportunity to meet them uh, in Boston when we were still in, in school. You brought a group of girls to the uh, iLab, and yes. we had a an informal panel with, at that point, uh, current graduate students, Latinas that were in higher ed, and we all gave a little piece of advice to the girls, and there was just so much information exchanged mm-hmm. that I think, what, was it like two hours that we had together? Yeah, and it was so lovely, I, if you remember. I
2: mean, the girls were just like, their, their, jaw, their jaws dropped when they heard the panelists talking about how they were first generation, they didn't speak the language. I mean, for the girls, I, I wanted to break down maybe that idea that that's why we took, I believe it was 20 students. And I wanted, I did that kind of like on purpose. Because, and I also wanted to go to Harvard because I feel that, and that is that is the role modeling behind this, right? So it's, it's showing the students, and, and I, I am sure that Patricia and you kind of like agree with this. We're here, and we are opening the doors for more like us. And we, if we're here, we can show you that it is completely possible to do this. And so I wanted to break that myth that maybe the girls had in their minds in in terms of Harvard is this unattainable place. And I feel that when we brought them to the school and they listened to the panelists and they had these conversations right there and they saw how they all guys just looked like them and had, the sim- had similar backgrounds and similar experiences. When we came back, they were like, this is where I want to go. And it definitely changed their perspective in terms of that school that they, if I feel that if they hadn't gone with us, that they would have never put a foot on, 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 on that uh, campus. And so I really wanted to do that on purpose. And before this whole thing happened where we are right now, we, we we got we got funding to to bring our students to colleges across um but not across the us but you know around here at least the northeast and my personal goal was to like let's keep bringing our girls to this kind of school so they see that you know this is you are completely it's okay it's totally fine for you to come here and it's a, and it is an option for you so uh we were going to go back this year but clearly that couldn't happen so it, it. The point. The point uh, there is yes, Ariana. It changed. It was impactful. The girls were. They, they came back here like super inspired, and it is not because of the school. It was because of who they had the chance to talk to and to see so many Latinas in that in that room that they were just mesmerized. They felt like wow you know like this this is unbelievable that there's more like you know women like us here so it made it real that was the whole point it made it real and so that's what i feel we need to do to show to show the girls you know all of this is possible and that's something that i personally when i have the chance because they may see you right but they have no idea your background of your background and if I get the opportunity to tell the girls about my background so they can't, they have to, you know, maybe break that idea that maybe if they just see you, they feel like, oh, you just got it all made and you use, you, you know, you're sitting here today and it was all just, you know, someone paid for your school, someone, you know, they would all help you with all of this. And it's like, I don't think so. This is how I got to where I am today. And it's somehow very similar to some things that you may be going through. So that's the whole, pur- whole purpose.
1: Yeah. And I was, that was going to be my follow-up question to you is you did all these programs and applied to all these um, um, different levels of education. And I guess if you can share with our audience, what kind of support services, resources, how were you able to pay for all of these different degrees for your study abroad? Um, It sounds easy, like you mentioned earlier, but if you could probably tell us a little bit more of like, any resources in new york that you tapped into that might still be available for someone else to take
0: advantage of
1: i love that question i okay so for me
2: i i i paid for my undergrad and to certain i mean how should i put it i mean that i also feel that that's something that the system has to change because i i was i i at first I couldn't receive financial aid again because of the legal status. When I was able to receive legal status of, during that time, I was paying out of pocket. I, I became a personal trainer after a few years of being in New York City. And so that is a profession that would, it's well-paid. So I was able to, through my personal training, save and pay, pay for my education. And then CUNY was affordable back then. I think that to a extent it may still be a little bit you know affordable still now. So for my BA... I paid. When it turned into MA, then they didn't help me. I, 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 By then, I had my legal status, but then it was MA, a master. so now you're a graduate student, now you have money, now we can't help you, right? So, there is no tab. I mean, all of the kind of um, federal and state level so financially, there is none of that for graduate school. So, when I got to take my classes for my master's at John Jay Uh when when that MA BA became an MA a master's degree I had to take a a couple of loans to finish my my education at CUNY so but that those were not as as big as the ones from NYU and Harvard for instance so so that happened at CUNY I paid for my BA Out of pocket. When I had to take my master's, I had to take maybe a couple of loans. For my study abroad, I worked at that nonprofit and I saved every single penny. So that was back. I worked there from 2007 to 2008. I worked for a year exactly, and I saved ten thousand dollars. And I and I told myself, okay, this ten thousand dollars are going to be for me to pay for rent for for food for whatever my parents you know when I say I'm gonna go live in Paris the first thing they say is like where are you gonna live how are you gonna survive and I think that now you know 20 years later that when I say I'm gonna go get a doctor they're like okay fine go do as you you know whatever you want because I feel that they have gotten used to this but um what happened was i I saved my money i went to france and this is something that i always tell people because i've experienced this you don't need to have everything planned out i used to say that when i got you know when i was planning on going to paris people asked me like where are you going to live and i said i have no idea i just right now i'm worrying about the study abroad telling me you got in then the rest i'll figure out when i get there And that was just amazing because when I got to Paris, you know, the study abroad office helped me. I got to live with a family. I had my own apartment. They had an adolescent girl. And my job was to talk to her in English. And they gave me, uh, you know, my apartment and and my food every night just because of that. And I didn't have to pay rent. So Mm -hmm. that's something that I would tell, you know, any student, like, you don't have to have it planned out. Things always, you know, that that there's always ways to make things work and so that study abroad the ten thousand dollars that I saved I ended up using it to travel which was unbelievable because I also got a job when I was in Paris uh the study abroad office helped me to find a job and I was interesting this is the very interesting thing right we talked about ESL classes I was teaching English in Paris to in a computer science school for, that was mainly um, men. And I was one of the teachers teaching English, which is like just very ironic, right? But then that job gave me the money to pay for my food, for anything that I needed. And I ended up, again, using my, my, my savings to, to travel. So it was just an amazing opportunity. I always say that Paris was just one of the best years of my life. And then I came back here penniless, clearly, because you got to take advantage. If you can travel, travel. You can always make money, but you cannot always make, you know, memories. Came back here, and that's where I got my job at the suicide prevention uh, program. And for NYU, definitely loans. And for Harvard, same thing. I feel that um, I don't... To be honest, I don't I, I don't know if there's that many scholarships for graduate school. Uh, maybe you ladies are more familiar with that. I'm not. Uh, I know that there's plenty of scholarships for undergrad. I know that there's plenty of opportunities to receive financially for undergrad. I think for grad school, they make it a little bit harder. I know that when it comes to doctorates, I mean, for PhDs, some schools like Harvard, for instance, cover everything, or CUNY also does that. Other schools like N Y U doesn't cover a doctorate, for instance. So, yeah. You know, but I always, what I always say personally, I look at, at my education as an investment. And like you say, Ariana, it, it has opened so many doors. And every school I go to is is gonna open more. So I went to Harvard, opened doors. And if I go to you know, my my doctorate at N Y U, it's gonna open more. So, listen, I if I if I can just uh, pay, you know, to have this. Um, education and i'm getting you know support financial support to do it i'm just gonna go ahead and do it because i look at it as an investment so yeah so most of my education has been loans and then you know the only thing that was paid for was my my bachelor's but that i paid for
1: right and that's something that i i like to highlight for people because um you know, as you mentioned, you were able to apply for loans because your your immigration status changed, so you were able to access those resources, but not everyone has access to those types of resources, and so we want to make sure that people understand that there are resources, financial support for U.S. citizens, U.S. residents, but sometimes, you know, unfortunately, undocumented people, depending on the state, depending on the um, the school that they're applying to, they might not be able to receive some of those benefits, so... Sometimes you have to become very creative and innovative and fundraise in different ways, but not to Mm -hmm. let that stop you, right? Yes, yes. I think that that's
2: a very important uh, point, Ariana. I actually, um, one of our current interns, uh, Uh yesterday she was uh, doing an Instagram live with our program coordinator, and Uh I, I listened to that um conversation, and she was very open about talking about daCA she's undocumented and it was so inspiring to me when she was if she she was sharing that uh, first she shared that she, she it's kind of like that coming of age realizing that you're undocumented kind of story and that was really i mean for me it when i when I heard that it was it touched it really it really um hit home and and she was just talking about how uh, they're making it so hard. I mean, I really hope that this administration goes out of business in November because right now they're making it so hard for, for students that really want to pursue you know, a higher degree to get to receive support. And she said that uh, it used to be two years to renew that kind of um, DACA support, and now it's every year. So I, I hear you, Ariana, and I think that it's just so unfair. And I actually, you know, based on that conversation that I, I listened to, um, I listened to the to our intern talk about DACA, I, I wrote a piece and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, post it because for me that is an important part that, that you mentioned, um Ariana, that I was undocumented uh-huh. but my dad was uh he he kind of had the same experience that i did he moved here when he in his 20s so he lived in the u in new york city for 10 years and he became uh, legal and so when i decided to move here i moved here with my tourist visa but then my dad came here a year later and he started the process for me and even though i i had to wait seven years to get a green card I knew that there was some sort of light at the end of the tunnel, right? So I, I did go through not, not receiving financial aid for my education at John Jay because I didn't have any papers. I, I, um, I couldn't leave the country while I was waiting for, that, for those documents. So I, I, I relate to that kind of experience, but, I, but I'm, I, I have to acknowledge that it was different for me, even though I went through that experience I knew that there was again some sort of hope because this was gonna happen, and it was gonna happen because of, of my dad. So I, I knew even if I waited all those years, at some point I'm gonna I'm gonna get freedom, and that is how I felt when I got that. And so I, I I completely understand how unfair that is, you know. And so thank you for bringing that up because I got to to feel and to hear that yesterday, and it's so unfair, Ariana. I think that. You know, if I if I can do something again with this upcoming you know education that I'm getting to speak up and and just do something because it's not fair. I just don't. It's not okay for for those interns that we were listening to, you know, yesterday. That she we, all she wants is an education, and it's they make it so hard. It's just it's not okay. So yeah, thank you for that.
0: Yeah, and Ooh. I think it's important to like note like how. You know, even within the span of, you know, a decade or a year or even this, how this long this administration has been in office, how many things have changed also for so many different immigrants and depending on where you're at in terms of your status. And I think it's, it's been ever changing. And I think it's also important to note that huge changes that are happening um, this year and also how it's evolving with covid and how to best support you know the students that you're trying to mentor, especially in New York right now it's It's always the need for educators and and the people connected to these students to just be super involved in in understanding like what is happening in it politically, but it's so hard to do that when the primary of your of your job it looks like it's more like mentoring and educating um in a different topic, but how connected it is because at the end of the day. Those students can't do what we're aspi hoping to aspire them to or pushing them towards when they're very real barriers that just won't allow them to even do what we're we're trying to push them to do
2: yes, yes, and that is the the kind of um, reality that our intern phase right so and that I've heard so many stories that. Um, and when I was at Harvard, and I'm sure that maybe you um, became familiar with his research too, with uh, from Roberto Gonzalez, right? So students that come here as children and 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 you grow up here, and this is all you know, and then at some point it's kind of like, okay, now you can't really your opportunities are closed up in front of you because because of this challenge of of your uh, status, and it's just again, it's just so unfair. I and I see that in so many of our students in our programs, and that, and I, if I, if I want to even take it back again to to where it all started for me at the suicide prevention program, it is, it was exactly because of that. Because the girls kept saying, they were most of them were new immigrants. Many of many many of the students that we support, I, I love, are new immigrants, and that's what you hear from them. Um, so how am I going to learn this language? I have no papers. Like there's no reason to do all of this, right? So, and it's just, so, and for me personally, it's so hard to to hear that because I heard it from the girls for which everything started. And here I am, you know, 11 years later, hearing the same thing. And it's just, when is it going to change, right? So that's why right now it's like, okay, in addition to providing this education to our, our young women, uh, which is my current goal to... And I already am uh, I'm in touch with the, the chancellor's office and I got to speak with the deputy chancellor and she put me in touch with these other senior uh, women from the, the chancellor's office. And, and I told them like, this is what we're doing. We're working with our young women. They're telling us that this is the education that they want. So I already got my foot there and I will continue to, to do that because in addition to just doing that, then we need to bring more voices and say like, this is, not working, and I mean I I I know that we're talking here, and I know that I I want to work with the Department of Education, but they're not doing the right thing. I mean, in my opinion, they're not. They are not doing, and every year they want to say, "Oh, our dropout rates are lower." No, 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 they're not lower. It's like you can't say that dropout rates are it decreased by zero point three percent. I mean, that's just shameful. So we just need we can do better and it's uh, to me it's all about access and and for uh, for my in my for my purposes our young women right but in general our youth needs needs that need that change so yeah you you can get me all uh passionate (laughs) to talk about this because it's just it's so unfair i mean it's just not not the right thing for you know all you want is access and
0: and that's what we don't have. Yeah. And I think um, it's, it's just like the work doesn't end, right? Like it's, it's a, mm-hmm. a different era, a different time, a new administration. And not just in a new administration in our, in our federal government, but it's also like within each of these colleges and even the, the unified school districts that we're working on. Um, it's a constant like making sure that we're consistently letting them know like, hey, we are present this is the stuff that we want and this is what we're looking for and these are the changing needs that may happen especially now everything's just going to be you know in this timeline post covid it's going to be continuously trying to adapt and, and advocate and so for towards um we're coming up close to the end of our episode if you could um give us uh anything that you would want to like either provide a shout out or opportunities for people to connect with you or any advice, final advice that you have for any of our listeners um, that you could leave us with.
1: Or what well, advice, Yeah. How can we learn more about your, your work and, or your website?
2: Thank you. Well, so the information about the program, uh, Love Mentoring Program, um, and uh, lovementoring.org website. If you're in New York City, if you want to be a mentor, uh, you can reach out to us uh, at info at lovementoring.org. If you are a school, um, if you want to partner and bring the program to schools, you can also look uh, for lovementoring.org. For our young women, I started saying this a long time ago, and I will continue as long as I can. Do never, ever, ever give up. And I know it's hard, I know they keep making it hard. And you know, just to make it like to where we are right now in terms of this uh, pandemic, you know, the reality, the reality is that our communities are the ones that are suffering the most. And I, that's the reality. And that, and and it's a constant, it doesn't change. And I hear from the girls, uh, mental health challenges, and the the, the 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 thing that is i don't know um, if it's a good thing or it's actually a bad thing that you know when i spoke with these people from the chancellor's office, this okay well yeah we want to work with you and put and explain to us everything that you have been doing for our community because of the challenges that they are facing based on covid covid and it's like yeah we can do that but they shouldn't <laughs> be like that right so they shouldn't be having this challenges it should everyone should have a, the same, kind, the same kind of um, access to resources and, and it's not. So I just want to make sure to, to mention that in terms of where we are currently that you, you know, the current reality is, is making these challenges for, for our young women even harder. So, but despite all that and to finish on a happy note or not happy but on a positive note, Despite all of the challenges, keep on going because that's the only way that we are going to thrive together. And that's why I personally continue working every day and wake up every day with the purpose of ensuring that more of us can thrive and achieve everything they want. So, and that they dream, um, they, dream they dream of. So, thank you so
1: much for the space. Of course, Claudia, thank you for for reaching out and, and for, you know, staying in touch with us ever since we, you know, connected at the Alumni of Color Conference at Harvard this past spring. And just for our listeners, um, know that you can always um, DM us or send us an email or reach out um, and let us know if you're interested in joining us in, in a conversation just like Claudia did Um and and it's always great to have different speakers and to cover different topics about their experiences, their journeys, because as we always say, um, you know, it's it's these journeys that make make us, right? And so you're a great example of perseverance and success and, you know, that when I get it, I didn't put it right. So not to give up. Exactly. So... Thank you so much,
2: Claudia. Thank you, Ariana. Thank you, Patricia. I really, really appreciate the space. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for for telling your story. And and I hope that any of our listeners uh, can reach out. We'll provide um, the information um, that Claudia uh, told us in our episode. So um, you can just quickly follow the information. And if you have any extra time and want to you know, mentor some of these uh, students. Could anybody um, even out-of-state mentor these students now that we're in a virtual space to connect with them?
2: Um, Well, normally the mentors are college female students. Um, Normally we recruit students here in New York City because they go to our partner schools. Um, If they're in New York, uh, you can totally apply. I'm not sure about out-of-state because even though we're remote, we... I kind of keep the program only here in New York. It's New York based, but if you are in New York, definitely, and if you're a college student, definitely reach out.
0: So that Amazing. there you hear it, listeners. So if you're in New York, you find yourself, you know, having some extra time or wanting to uh, connect with other the, our youth uh, in New York, uh, definitely reach out. Uh, look at our cl- uh, notes and check out our website and uh, connect with Claudia if you if you have any questions about you know any of their journey or or things like that but thank you so much claudia and thank you all of our listeners for for catching us on another episode and until next time thank you bye thank you
1: bye united with dream has created the undocu health project emergency toolkit which was designed to alleviate not only the stress and anxiety of folks across the nation and keep our families secure but also to give the reader tools that will allow them to conduct safe zone events and incorporate stress-reducing activities within their community, work, and daily lives. Please visit their website at unitedwedream.org. Another great website is immigrantsrising.org, who provides a list of scholarships that do not require proof of citizenship or legal residency. They also have guides on beyond DACA, making money, mental health resources, and more. The socially responsible practitioner, thought leadership, and news from Adler University has compiled a list of mental health resources through different organizations across the nation. Find them at adler.edu. Additionally, there is my undocumented life blog by Dr. Carolina Valdivia, who shares key resources, calls to action, mental health resources, immigration policy updates, and relevant news. Please visit myundocumentedlife.org. Lastly, Immigrant Legal Resource Center, also known as ILRC, whose main focus is to educate and assist attorneys and legal advocates in their work to help immigrants. Check them out at ILRC.org. We recommend that you sign up for these organizations' newsletters to stay up to date with their various resources. For all of our listeners, you can email us at chicanacodeswitchers at gmail.com and send us your POC, business, conference, and event shoutouts and listener letters. You could also record a listener message on Anchor app, and that way we can include your recorded message in our future episodes. Follow us on Instagram at chicanacodeswitchers and on Twitter at xcodeswitchers. If you would like to support this podcast, you can Venmo or cash app us at Chicana Code Switchers and/or become a Patreon contributor. Thank you and don't forget: switch the code. Don't let the code switch you.